The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning is Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, you are God who continues to remind us that you will do according to your will. You are a powerful God who continues to show your love in a way that wraps your arms around us. The tears that we hear are not tears of sorrow but of joy. Father, we thank you because you are God who never lets the devil steal our joy. You are God that continues to remind us that your mercies are new each and every day. Father, we thank you because your grace is overflowing. When sin thinks it abounds, your grace superabounds. And Father, we know, Jesus, that there is none like you. So we will worship you. We will continue to adhere to your word. And we will be lovers of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Uh, God is good. Amen. Amen. Beloved, it is good to be in the house of the Lord, and I am thankful that he has brought us together to worship him, because there is no other place that I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord with God's people, drawing all attention unto him and not to my own self. Because I know one day that there will be a day where we will all stand before the king, and we will call upon his name. And he will call us by our names. And there is glory in that. Amen. Uh, if you've been, if you're visiting with us, thank you. I see some visitors. I see a couple of, uh, pastor friends in the house in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to call y'all out, but I see some other friends as well. They thank y'all for joining us. And if you're visiting us this morning, we thank you for joining us. Uh, visiting us this morning. We really appreciate it. If you have any questions at all, do not hesitate to uh, pick, call, pick on me or any of our staff. Our staff, would you just stand up? We need to stand up sometimes so people can know us. Our staff, downtown church staff, would y'all just stand at this moment? Uh, you can look around. You got any questions at all? Um, and Michael Rose preached an amazing sermon last week. So if you didn't listen to that, go listen to it. Um, I, I, I immediately put into practice a lot of what he was saying immediately. Like, I said, this man is the guru of parenting, right? So, you know, me and my family, we have a nice little routine. Every night we go, we encourage MJ to go find a couple books and we read those books. And then reading those books, we, we begin to sing, Jesus loves me. And I'm, I'm crooning, oh, Jesus loves me. And so, uh, and then we begin, he knows the song, and we sing, Jesus loves you. And then we say a prayer, and then we say the Lord's Prayer, and then we sing, Amen, Amen. And we do that, and we get to the end, right? I'm thinking everything is good. Like, he, he's listening to the sermon. He's getting, he's understanding how to honor his mother and father. He, he walks up to me in the bed, and he says, Daddy. I said, what's, what's going on, son? We're doing a great job. He said, you're missing a tooth. Why is that? I said, wait a minute. What are you talking about? He's talking about my gap. He didn't learn a thing last week. He didn't learn anything. Not a thing my son is talking about me. This is cruel. Corrupt. He ain't godly. Pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him. 
It's just, golly, cold-blooded. But as y'all can see, that is, that is just a, 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 a slide into where, where we are in parenting. Amen. Uh, we are continuing our, uh, in all sincerity, Michael did preach a tremendous sermon, and we're continuing our series through the Lord's Prayer. And we've titled this entire sermon series, We. And we are emphasizing the fact that we, God's people, um, if having intimacy with him will lead to intimacy with one another. And so, and so again, we've been reiterating this through practice and community groups and also having family breakfasts in the morning, trying to foster that community. And some of us have been meeting uh, in various different areas of the city, et cetera, to build community so that we uh, can continue to know each other as the family of God. Amen. And so in uh Continuing this series, we're at the Sixth Commandment. Lowatza is the Hebrew for you shall not murder. And it refers to premeditated murder. And meaning not simply thinking of an accidental uh, killing of an individual or manslaughter, but actually pre, actual premeditated murder and uh, killing someone. So this morning, we will address this in the context of community the context of our church community and living here in the city of Memphis because we won't deal with some of the ethical implications of of how this plays out, talking about capital punishment or uh, talking about um, just war or criminal action, any of those things. We will deal with how this actually plays out in Christian community. Why does the Sixth Commandment or how does the Sixth Commandment actually help us to know Ways in which we are not to murder each other. How does that play out? I think many of us would say this morning, I'm not a murderer. This does not apply to me. I am completely innocent. This doesn't necessarily, I've never killed anyone. I've, I've never done anything to, to harm a di- or take the life of an individual. So this, I, I actually, this is a sermon where I think that I'm, I'm exonerated. Well, I think we need to revisit that. Because if we look at the fact of how many of us have been dehumanized, I mean desensitized to dehumanizing individuals in our society today, we would then fall in the category of murder. If we would understand how many of us would look at TV or YouTube, uh, looking at video clips in our society today, murder has become so, so palatable to look at someone being killed on a clip. Many of us have children that play video games, and there you see them actually murdering individuals on the game. We've been desensitized to this reality. Our youth have been desensitized due to the fact of how easy it is to get to be to be uh, to be in areas in which they know friends who have passed away because they've been murdered. One day they were alive, and the next day they were murdered. So today, I think that as we look at this particular commandment, I want to challenge us. How have you been desensitized to dehumanizing people in our church community and in our surrounding areas? How have you been desensitized to dehumanizing people around us in our own community? Let me pray. Father, we... We love you and we bless you. We thank you, Jesus, because this is a sermon sometimes that is difficult to listen to when we don't think it applies to us. So help your servant now as I preach to your people. 
Give me words, Lord Jesus, that would encourage their hearts, convict them, Lord, but point them most of all to the cross. So, Lord Jesus, that they will be able to live a life that is praiseworthy to you. And I pray, Jesus, that I hide beneath your cross and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said, amen. So today it's easy to label individuals. It's easy to put people in categories. It's easy to use stereotypes in order to denigrate our brothers and sisters. But we have to dispossess ourselves of that because we have to understand that what this particular commandment is telling us is that we don't murder because the reason is that God has created man in his image and his likeness. But it's easy to think that, well, since I haven't put my hands on someone physically or caused or or taken life, I want us to rethink that because as we go through this, it's very easy for us to spew vile words, words of hatred, racial slurs, words that actually try to strip the humanity from individuals because we don't think that they are worthy. We can literally look at individuals, and this is the confliction that we, the conflict, this is where we struggle in our hearts with the conflict of looking at someone who's murdered at someone else and saying, well, you deserve what you're going to get. Isn't that how many of us think when we see someone else who is a murderer? But if we were to put ourselves into that category, then we were, what would we say to ourselves? What have we said to other individuals that have murdered them? How have we talked down to our brothers and sisters? In fact, how have we tried to change the behavior of individuals so that they can fit into a church context? See, I don't think conformity is actually transformative. I don't think behavior modification informs an individual's value system. Nor do our stereotypes or, or labels, they, they don't justify anything that, uh, justify our, our, our bias. So what am I saying? Is that no one in this room is innocent. No one. No one in this room is innocent as it regards to demeaning the lives of our neighbors, strangers, and our own church family. But as Christians, brothers and sisters, I want you to see this. That God empowers us to, de- to demonstrate The opposite of this, the opposite of dehumanization and hatred, and that is through the power of love. It's the power of love because he is the exact example of what it means to embrace people who are hostile towards him and to love them. And so we see a God who is the Lord of life, and he cares deeply about his creation in such a way That he wants us, number one, to respect human life. And then number two, what we will see in this passage is that we should also demonstrate the power of love. Again, we're dealing with this in the context of Christian community and how it shapes and forms our mind. So first of all, when we look at this, we have to say to ourselves, what does it mean to do the first point? Respect human life. What it means to respect human life is... Is this, is to know 
the inherent dignity, but they didn't know that the hearts of individuals are corrupt. In respecting human life, simultaneously we are demonstrating something, and that is honoring God's creation. That is honoring God's creation. When you look at Genesis 1, 26, you see then God, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after likeness, which clearly depicts an inherent dignity that all humanity has. So it's important that as family, it is important to realize that as a Christian family, and even in our own silos, that as families who have big names or prominent names or those who have a prominent ancestry, it's not comparable, comparable to the dignity or worth that you have being created in the image and the likeness of God. The reason I'm being intentional in saying that is because we have to realize that when people are stripped of something, individuals are are being dehumanized, they don't find any value in knowing God as Father. They don't find any value in knowing Jesus Christ. And there are so many different ways that we see this playing out in our own Christian communities. This is another way in which we see dissension amongst our body. As we are a church that is intentional about being multi-ethnic, it's difficult at times to know that as being a multi-ethnic church, we we will cross the line. There will be tension in terms of what will happen. But we have to be mindful of not trying to dehumanize an individual. Because we are saying we're family. So we have to honor their inherent dignity. And that's difficult, especially when you know someone actually harbors dislike to you, toward you. Or you harbor that same dislike towards them. But here's one thing that this psalmist encourages us. And this is what he does in Psalm 139.14. And understanding that we are created in God's image and likeness. It is this. He says, praise God. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Did you know that you are the wonderful works of Jesus Christ? The wonderful works of God's creation. You are his masterpiece personally. He's created you. And so you derive your dignity out of him creating you. Not out of your career. Not out of being the best ball player. Not out of being the best student in your class. Not out of being the best teacher. Not out of being the best individual that you can, that you can be in any sector of your life. You find it because God has wonderfully made you. Fearfully, you're made. You're a wonderful work. But see, this was abolished. When we look at this, we have to say that this actually was perverted by sin. We're just doing a little work. But I want you to think about how it was perverted by sin. Adam and Eve were tempted. There was no moral law for them. They didn't have to abide by by the Ten Commandments. It was written on their hearts. Until they sinned. In some sense, it looks like spiritual suicide, spiritual murder. 
Because when sin enters the world, what happens immediately? Cain and a- Cain kills Abel. That's the first thing, thing that happens after the fall of man. Murder. That's why it's so easy, I believe, for us to try to murder one another by what we say. It's easy not to see the dignity. It's easy to try to strip each other of those very words. See, we can look at it and fight for justice all over the globe or in all different worlds. But what about right here in downtown church? What about right here with the individual that's sitting next to you, across from you? I'm challenging us to look at that because at any time, dissension and division can try to destroy what God is trying to build right here. In that same vein, we see in Genesis 9, 5 through 6. I know this is a difficult one, so I may not get as many amens. But uh, if, you, if, you, if you just hear something that, 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 may, that may prick your heart, just say amen. <laughs> You're not forced to. But listen, listen, listen. Genesis 9, 5 through 6, God says, And for you, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is getting, this is getting to the fact that what it means to murder means that you will have to be judged. Because murder is sin. It is in a direct attack on what God has created. And thus, if that is the case, we, if we're looking at this through the New Testament lens, Jesus helps us. Because in his teachings in Matthew 6, I mean Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 22, we see he explains a bit deeper in his teaching. He says this, you have heard that what was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be, ju- will be judgment. But I will say to you, I will say that, I will say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever will be liable to the hell of to the hell of fire. Genesis 9, 5 through 6 tells you there's judgment for murder. But when you get to the New Testament, you only see murder and taking the life of an individual physically. Pierce of a knife, stoning an individual. But when Jesus preaches, when Jesus teaches on this, what does he say? If you're angry with your brother or sister, you're liable to the same judgment, judgment in court. And then he also expounds a bit further. He says, if you call him a fool, you're liable to the same judgment. That is basically taking the sixth commandment and looking at it in a more in-depth way to see that even the words that we say can spew hatred. That will allow us to kill the identity of individuals. Right? So although hatred is not, is something that you can't necessarily charge in a court of law. You, you, you can't say right now that this person 
has called me a racial slur. This person has had sexist comments to me. And so you know what? I'm going to press charges to them and they're going to have a life sentence because they've taken or they've taken an attack on my dignity, on my worth, on my identity. Part, would that work in the court of law? I don't know. But see, what Jesus is saying is Christians, we're called to a different way of thinking. And so this, this hatred cannot reside in our community. And Jesus clearly makes anger and murder equal in the eyes of judgment. And thus, if that's the case, when one commentator, he says this, in every effort, and Jesus is saying that you want to apply the sixth commandment solely within the legal framework, then you will need to feed into, to feed into the legal system every case where there is uh, there has been ru- a rush of anger or words or deeds of insult. That, that plays a huge part in terms of how we look at this thing. Because if we observe our hearts as brothers and sisters, we have to say to ourselves, what have we been harboring? Because even when you look at Matthew, the rest of Matthew uh, 21 through 26, he says if you are going to the altar to, to, to offer a, an offering, Before you do, reconcile with your brother and sister. There are times where we need to come here and we need to reconcile with one another. We need to ask for forgiveness because we we said something maliciously. Sometimes we, we we don't mean to, or other times we do intentionally. And thus what that means is we have to be able to forgive. Weeks upon weeks you've been hearing me talk about church hurt within our, our own body and people have people experiencing that by ministry leaders, by the own by the church itself, but it's a real thing. When you look at individuals who've been who've been murdered by the church verbally, they don't want any parts of it. They don't want to be here. They don't see this as a place to where they're being given uh, they, they they're they're being honored for the dignity, the value and the worth that's been spoken over them because they've been created in God's image and his likeness. And so when you look at this, you have to say to yourself, well, then I'm I'm held accountable to the malicious speech, to the racial comments, to the sexist comments, to the cussing out the individual, to belittling others, to wounding them by my haughty and prideful disposition, by manipulating other people through business deals or trying to get over on someone else because you know that you can uh, can belittle them in, in certain sectors of the marketplace. This actually helps us. Because even when you look at what James takes it a step further, he is, or explains it a bit further by saying we need to tame the tongue. We, we need to think before we speak. Prayerfully, amen, somebody. Because sometimes we think that we're saying something, and because we have a soul conviction, we're tearing the other person down. And so what James says in James 3, 8 through 10, he says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who made in, who are made in the image, I mean in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother's and sisters, things ought not be so. Think about how intentional James is being in what he's saying. 
that the very thing that we we have to realize is that in respecting human life and the inherent dignity that it has, we have to know our own hearts and how corrupt they are. Yesterday I was speaking at a little youth conference. And so it was one part where the other speaker went up before me. And she called us, she was Dr. B. She was a clinical psychologist. And so as she was talking to the youth, you know, engaging youth, and that's why I'm always praying for Terrence and the youth team because, whew, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have, right, Rashad, man, amen, brother. You got a good youth pastor and a youth team. Um, but sometimes you got to rile them up, right? And so she is trying to, to speak directly to him. And she said, she put on this, uh, this shirt and it had forgiveness. It had, it had shame and it had guilt and it had all of these names on it. And they said, if you, she pointed at the kids because she said, has anybody ever called you a name? Come up here. If somebody's ever tried to steal the dignity from you, if everybody has ever tried to say something that, that you, because you don't have a daddy at home, you, that you're hopeless. Has anybody ever told you because you don't have these type of clothes on or you got these type of shoes on? And so all of the kids, some of the kids start coming up. But then there were a pocket of kids that were not, that were not paying attention. And so when she said, she said, look at this shirt. He said, if you see anything on this shirt that someone has labeled you as, then I want you to come up here. It was powerful because she said, has anybody ever said something negative to you? Please tell me. And one of the young men was so courageous. He said, yeah, somebody told me that would be stupid and I would never amount to anything. And so she, she, was, she was so intense because and it was an intense situation. And so when she said what well, she said, you know what? She said, they told this young man that he was stupid and he would never amount to anything. She had these little, these little cardboard, uh, signs. She picked it up. And she said, you know what? How'd you feel? And he explained how he felt. And she showed, she said, it says, it's, you, she held the box up to everybody. She said, that's a lie. So then what she did was, she had everybody crowd around this young man and lay hands on him. And she said, when somebody says this about you, and she began naming certain names, and she went all the way there, and he held that sign, and every time she named a name, she, he said, it's a lie. There are some of us in here right now that are hurt by somebody in this church, that are hurt by your parents, that have been hurt by a brother or sister, that have been hurt from your coworker. Or you've been called names, but you need to hold the sign up that says, I have inherent dignity. That's a lie. Every time you hear that reverberating in your minds and in your hearts, young people, you too, you have to say to yourself, I'm not just somebody who's trying to check me. I know it's fun and games when you're in school and you're cracking jokes on other individuals. Or I know it's difficult when you are having body image issues and you look in the mirror each and every day and you're struggling with who you are because there's an expectation. But can I tell you what has been said against you? It's a lie. Even in our own marriages, we've dehumanized each other. We've We've done it because that's what we've seen for so long. And so when we're in conflict, we've, we've torn each other down and we've said negative things. And yes, we've come to forgive each other. But can I tell you something? That's a lie. If we know that we have inherent dignity, we can respect human life. But if we also know that we have corrupt hearts, we can also respect human life. 
How's the church done this to you? How have people denigrated you? How have people said hateful things towards you? But then here's the other thing. How have you spoken self-hate towards yourself? How many times do you look at yourself and don't think that you're worthy? Or committing suicide due to the words that you're saying to yourself? I got a call just the other day. And it was a hard one because I hadn't spoke to this person, but they said, please could you call this individual because they said they would commit suicide. And I hadn't heard from him. We were supposed to go somewhere in a couple hours. <laughs> I know the hurtful things that this married couple has said to one another. I know. And so sometimes that individual can internalize it so much so that they think they're already dead. I don't want anyone in here to walk out thinking that you're spiritually dead. That's why we ought to demonstrate the power of love. Because what the power of love says to us and what is important is that we see what Jesus has done. And so every believer ought to love one another. We know and we say that, and, but it's easy because when you think about this in the context of the Old Testament and the Levitical law, you know that these Ten Commandments, this Sixth Commandment, is actually pointing to Leviticus 19 where it's trying to help us to love our neighbor. Leviticus 19:17 says this. It says, you shall not hate your brother uh, in your heart, uh, but you shall, resp- you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am Lord. God showing the lordship over his, over your neighbor, over your life, means in which you have to show the power of love. Demonstrate the power of love by the way that you love yourself to others. What am I saying? Because, you know, the same thing as 1 John 3, 15. I meant to say this a little bit earlier, but he says this. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has any, has eternal life abiding in him. So we see that this is a destiny thing. We also see that this is a deal in which we have to fix this between each other. So when we look at this as the family of God, there have been words that have been murderous. But we need to seek forgiveness. And I find it difficult, even in the digital age, because it's easy. I look at so many, particularly in the Christian community, so many little YouTube videos of people attacking other Christians, pastors attacking pastors in the blogosphere. I don't even want to get into the blogosphere because it's foolish. Subtweet. Someone talking negative. Even in Christian hip-hop, the dissension. People rapping about disliking one another. Even in your own businesses, dissension amongst Christians. Aren't we supposed to reconcile by demonstrating the power of love? By being able to love our neighbor as ourselves and not tear down the family? 
What does this mean? It means proximity and fellowship are keenly important to me, what it means to not disregard or demonize our neighbor. If I, if I am not in community of fellowship with my brothers and sisters, I can't do what John Calvin says. He says, our neighbors bear the image of God. He says, to him, I mean, to use him, to abuse him, or misuse him is to do violence to the person of God who images himself in every human soul. So the reason we, de- we demonstrate this is because this love is because it's actually the weapon which combats hate. It combats sin. Instead of seeking revenge or to destroy your neighbor verbally, what we ought to do is seek forgiveness and try to reconcile. This is a clear indicator that you have a perspective of that internal hope. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, I, have you ever been able to be in a situation where there are individuals who are stumbling blocks for you? But because you know of your eternal hope, you can at least keep your focus there and still be able to love them. It's kind of like using your GPS on our I-240, <laughs> where they block it off every weekend, all the time. You know that that is going to be a stumbling block. But your GPS directs you and it guides you because you have a destination. And as long as you can reroute and get to your destination, it is by this power of love that God gives us the eternal hope and the glory in which we can see that as long as we're moving towards Jesus, every other distractor cannot take us away from the very one that loves us. Does that make sense? That's what it means to intimately know God, which then leads to intimacy with one another. We've been trying to belabor this point for the entire time so that we can see that this is a practical way in order for downtown church to do life, to demonstrate love as a church family, but then know that if we then know the life giver, we are individuals that can be a church family that can love our community. And I wanted to give us some practical ways in which to think about this. Ways to demonstrate love to our, to our church family is this. First of all, meet someone new every single week you come to church. Make that a task. I know some of us have certain places we sit, but make it a task to meet someone new every single week. Introduce yourself. Get to know them. Invite them out to lunch if you're going to lunch. Sit in different areas of the church. This helps us not to have certain biases or if we do have a situation, you may have made somebody mad last week, but then you find yourself sitting in the same row with them the, the next week. So then you got to reconcile. <laughs> you you got to sing, so I will. You can't say sing, so I will, and then how about hating your heart? Join a community group. We're emphasizing being in a community group because we don't want to feel, we don't want anyone to be in isolation. We don't want you to feel alone. We want to be able to demonstrate love in that way. Then also demonstrating love to our local area. One of the things that I found necessary was to read the commercial appeal. To read the local news. Understand what's going on. Why? So you can learn how to pray. It will teach you how to love. It will teach you how to be informed about your own communities and your surrounding areas. 
We teach you how to demonstrate love. The areas that you frequent, your grocery store, your Walgreens, your Walmart, your eateries, your gyms. Inquire about the people in your community. Ask that waitress or that waiter or that hostess how they're doing if they've seen you every single week. Care for them. Because I, I believe as we demonstrate this love to others in our community, then people won't see the church as a hateful institution that strips people of their dignity and worth. This is what the church sometimes is known for. But then also try to serve. Try to serve with mission partners, with people around us. Try to be in those particular spaces. We don't tell, we don't encourage individuals to serve just so we can meet some kind of some kind of marker. It's what we do. That's the kingdom vision. That's what drives us and moves us is that we're always giving ourselves away because we know the life giver. This morning, and even as I was studying, I was like, this is so difficult just to preach on the sixth commandment. But listen, brothers and sisters, many of us need to repent. So we are not guiltless. And as I invite the worship team to come, no one in this sanctuary is innocent. And even my deacons and my elders, you guys come down here. Because many of us have felt the weight of murdering an individual. You should. <laughs> but see, the thing is, many of you are like, well, Mike, why should I feel this? Why do I need to engage in this? What is that? What is that? Like, I, don't, I don't need to seek the forgiveness. Let me encourage you. That someone was murdered for you. His name was Jesus Christ. And in being murdered for you, he asked that you repent daily. Because as we sing this, this hymn, he reminds us there's a fount filled with blood. And see, that blood doesn't come from anywhere. It comes from Emmanuel's vein. And, and see, what it says is for every sinner, we can find freedom from our guilt and our shame. So we ought to rejoice in knowing the dying God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who can wash away all of our guilty stains. Who is the one that his redeeming love demonstrates a power that transforms us to love our enemies, transforms us to love our neighbors, transforms us to see the dignity, the worth and the value, transforms us to love the stranger, to love the homeless, to love the sick, to love the afflicted, to love the brothers and sisters that come into this place and they may not look like they deserve to be here. But this is a place where anyone, that's why he says all individuals are created in God's image are supposed to be. Let us sing, brothers and sisters, knowing that we know this Jesus. But come if you know you need to be prayed for because someone has hurt you or you've been hurt. I mean, someone you've hurt someone or you've been hurt. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you are a great and mighty God that can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask. So we ask now, Lord Jesus, that you move our hearts, that you move our minds, that you encourage us. That all of the guilt that we feel and the shame that we feel, Jesus, God, that we are able to come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say.